took down all of our Christmas stuff yesterday. When I say we, it was Beth. But uh, <laughs> Christmas is not that far, not, not, not that far in, the, in the rear view mirror. And, uh, you know, at Christmas time, we had talked about we had talked about uh, that just one word, this word behold. If you were here for our Christmas uh, Eve services, you would have seen that focus of behold, look in a way that you would see. Like we said, we don't use that word very often. You know, you don't, you're not at the grocery store and it's like, behold, you know, the avocados are on aisle six. That's never what's said. We just don't hear it. But it's often used in, this, in the way of saying, look so that you see. And, uh, you know, the old English uses that term, lo and behold. And this morning, as we look into his word, it isn't just so that we can have, say, oh, we've read it. It's so that you can look and see what he desires. And that is the title of our new series, simply this, Come and See. And, you know, we want to have an invitation for every person here uh, at the end of this, or even anywhere in between, is that the Lord's invitation for you to come and see personally to come and see for yourself. You know, we know the shepherds and the wise men, uh, when they heard the news about Jesus, it wasn't good enough just for them to hear. It's like, oh, we see a star. There's a new king somewhere. The wise men are like, get on your camels. We're going to find him for ourselves. The shepherds hear the angel's announcement. There's a savior has been born. It's like, we got to go see this for ourselves. And there was others around. We know that the shepherds went throughout Bethlehem telling people. And they were like, okay, that's, that's cool. They didn't go to see for themselves. We know that Herod met with the kings and he knew that there's a new king in town. He's like, I'm not going to see for myself. Someone else can do it for me. And I, I really honestly believe that those two types of people in this room this morning and watching online. Those who will say, oh, I heard the message that was spoken, and, but I got to go and see for myself. And there's going to be others like, ah, hey, yeah, the preacher said some stuff. It wasn't too bad this week. Yeah, it's okay. Whatever he said. Let's get on to like, uh, you know, let's go to Tim Horan's, whatever it is, wherever you're headed after this. Let's get to the birthday party, right, Tracy? For those watching online, it's Tracy's birthday. So the thought today is to come and see for yourself. Experience him for, for yourself. And we're going to look at a number of different examples of that. I was just thinking, too, like last week I talked about Beth's sourdough bread. And uh, I, I was, this isn't Beth's, but hers is better. I just didn't have a picture of it. But as I talked about sourdough bread, even on Saturday night after the service, some people came up to me and were like, that stuff sounds so good. Like, can we just come over to your house tomorrow and have sourdough bread? And I was like, I don't believe this was like open invitation of like, we have sourdough bread, everybody come. We're not Panera bread, right? Like, we're... But it was, it was, they heard it and they're like, I, I, like, I just, I just got to have it. And then the next day, uh, when I talked about it, my son, uh, teenager, he's got his teenage buddies. They're at the back and three of them, hungry teenagers, like, we're going to your house today. And I was like, yeah, well, I have a meeting and I'm going to be there later. And I didn't get sourdough bread yesterday. It better be there when I get back. And they're like, we're going to eat it all. <laughs> and they did. <laughs> you know, and... Part of me was like, why you little... The rest of me was like, wait a second, that's kind of the exact idea, is that you would hear about it and be like, man, I got to experience it, and then it's like all in. I, I, I got to have it all. And, you know, we talk about that when it comes to the, the gospel and serving Christ. It's like we, that desire, like, oh, man, I, I want it for myself, and I've got to have it all. And we often talk about these, this thing of being all in. When it comes to following Christ, and uh, maybe you've said it, you know, yeah, I'm all in, or, uh, and then there's times and moments in your life where you're like, well, I'm not, I'm like, yeah, I think I'm all in, but then there's times in my life where I don't, I don't know if I feel like I'm all in, and I'm not sure what, uh, what it means or where I'm at. I don't even know what to ask or who to ask, and, and maybe you've heard sermons about, you got to be all in, and, and maybe it led to a baptism or something. 
Maybe you heard me preach about it. And uh, it's because I have. But as I began just reading more and more, and I, I wrestle with this one thing. I wrestle with the fact that churches in North America are full of people who believe they're Christians and know very little about Christ. I wrestle with that. It's not here. It's other churches. But we'll just talk about them this morning. They, they believe. They believe in their heart. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but they know very little about Christ. For some, it's because of how it started. Right? Like you were born into a church-going family. You were born into a Christian family. Like your first weekend, you were at church. And uh, ever since. And that's kind of like the extent of it. And you're like, yeah, I guess, you know, I, I'm a Christian. Um, and it's, that's kind of been your, your entry into it. But yeah, like when it comes to knowing about Christ, well, I mean, I, I know some stuff. And for others, it's like a, like a kind of a coattails Christianity. You have somebody you trust, and they tell you about Jesus. Maybe right now it's your parents. Maybe it's your Sunday school teacher. Maybe it's a pastor. Maybe it's your friends. And they tell you about Christ, and you trust what they say about Christ. And so that's kind of your, that's kind of your go-to. And if somebody said, hey, you know, um, are you a Christian? You'd be like, ah, uh, yeah, like I was baptized as a baby. You know, my parents did that. Uh, you know, I've been, I've been in church for a long time. And, and that's kind of the, the, the extent of it. And for some, it's like, well, if they say so, then it's good enough for me. And I think it's supposed to be deeper than that. For some, you entered Christianity later in life, but it was like a blind faith experience. You know, you're a young person, you went to camp, and then they had that preacher who was so like moving, and the music was just right, and they were like, you know, do you want to give your life to Christ? And you're like, yeah, I do. And like, and if you don't, you'll go to hell. I'm like, ah, okay, I do, I do. I want to give my life to Christ. And and they give the call, and you like, you feel motivated, and you go, and like, yeah, I give it all to you, Jesus. And it, it's kind of where, where, where it stayed, right? After the, you know, you go home from camp. It's like, man, like I'm still the, still the same. Like I, I think, you know, I gave my heart to the Lord. I said a prayer. I, I got a Bible. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to heaven now. And then that's kind of the extent of where it is. And if somebody were to ask you, hey, are you a Christian? You're like, yeah, yeah. Like I, I said a prayer. I, I said a prayer. I was like, it was meaningful. And this morning, I don't want to deny the validity of that. If that was your experience, and that's where you genuinely gave your heart to Christ, I'm not denying that that didn't happen. What I'm suggesting this morning is that that wasn't the end of the journey, but merely the beginning. That it wasn't, you know, God's intent is that people would say a prayer, you know, uh, believe in Jesus, that they're on their way to heaven, and, and then, you know, hey, the rest of life, we'll just see you when you get here. There was, there was more to it. You know, there's many who claim to follow Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life, but they don't know the way. And the, the, the greatest evidence of that is if somebody asks you, hey, what does it take to become a Christian? <laughs> and you don't know what to say. If somebody were to ask you today, are you a Christian? What would be your response? And if they said, well, why? What would be your response? Would it be one of these? Do you know people? You're like, yeah, if I ask them, I know that that would be their response. Or if somebody asks you, hey, what does it take for me to become a Christian? Could I become one? How? What would your response be to them? And if you wrestle with that, I, I want to I speak to that this morning. And I don't want to speak to it from, the, from, the, from the, the thing of guilt. Well, you know, you bunch of rotten pagans, right? Like, what's wrong with you? You should know this by now. It's not, nothing to that at all. This morning, my challenge to you is, is what I believe Jesus did for so many, and he just invited them to come and see for themselves. Because what you see for yourself, you'll have the ability to articulate. You'll be able to share with someone else. And so 
You know, we've talked about this um, portion of scripture before. Uh, you know, as we, we have one textbook, so we sometimes go through some of, the, some of the same things. And if you're reading through the New Testament with us, you've probably come across a guy by the name of Peter. And so we're going to talk about his story today, and we're talking about a number of different accounts over the next number of weeks. But we're going to start with Peter. So if you have your Bible, grab them, go to Matthew chapter 4. If you've got your own notebooks, you guys are awesome. If you don't have notebooks, we have paper for you. really would love for you to take some notes. Jot down some of the scriptures and some of the thoughts. Why? So that later you can go and see for yourself and not miss uh, what I believe he desires to say in our hearts this morning. So as you're turning to Matthew, it's, it's kind of in the middle and then to the right. You're going to find some red letters. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are right there. The red letters are the words of Jesus easiest way to find them. So you can find that. And uh, Peter, like if you've read about Peter, you know about Peter. If you've been to Sunday school, Peter's like the, Peter's the favorite disciple to talk about. Like he's the guy who just did stuff, took big risks. He's the one who walked on water. He's the one who thought he could tell Jesus what to do. And Jesus is like, uh, no, get behind me, Satan. It's like, whoa, this is like a big, big moment. Peter's that guy. And uh, the thing that I want us to recognize this morning is that Peter was a real guy. Real guy, real man, really was there, and we're going to talk about him this morning. So if, if you've read the New Testament or this year with us, you've come across Matthew 4, and so some of this may be recognizable to you, but t- let's take a look at it. So Matthew 4, verse 18. One day, one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of Galilee, or the Sea of Galilee, can, and just picture this for a minute. I mean, when they first read it, they would picture it. Picture, it's like, you know, when Bob DeVries was walking down Highway 3 near Kingsway Church. Many of you could be like, oh, I can picture that. You know, Bob DeVries, awesome mullet walking down by Kingsway Church, right? Like, I, get, I, I can see that. That's the same thought as what he's saying here. Picture this. One day, as Jesus is walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Maybe you don't know that particular sea, but you can picture it. He sees two brothers. Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, and they're throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them and said, come, follow me, and I'm going to show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once, and they followed him. You know, Mark, Luke, and John, we have four different accounts of the the things that happen around the life of Jesus. And they see it from different perspectives. They're writing to different audiences. They communicate things in a little bit different ways. But Mark says the exact same thing. He's like, Jesus walking along the beach. He's like, hey, you two guys, you know, come follow me and I'll teach you how to really fish for men. And they're like, okay, we're in, let's go. And they leave everything and they follow Jesus. And we picture that I don't know about you, but I look at that, I'm like, that seems kind of reckless. Like, almost a little foolish. Like, we kind of look at people who do that in, in, in our day and age, like, that, that's not the, it's not wisdom. You know, you, you go on, you save up for years to go on a vacation. You get to the resort, and they're like, hey, we'll give you some free scuba diving if you come to this little uh, room over here and, and listen to a little presentation we have for you. And you go into the little room for the little presentation, and they're like, you could have your own timeshare for the rest of your life, and it's going to be amazing. And you're like, oh, it's going to be amazing. And you're like, okay, what does it take? Your credit card. I'm like, I'm in. And you give your credit card, and you tell all your friends, guess what? I got a timeshare. And they all look at you like, because they know you can't even afford your mortgage. And we're like, you didn't give them your credit card, did you? Oh, yeah, I'm all in. And we look at them like, ooh, this is probably not going to go good. 
Others, maybe it's that investment. I remember being in Bible school and they found gold in Maui or Malawi or whichever one of those places. And then everybody was like, you can buy this gold unlimited company. You buy shares. And, and, and they had to stop Bible school one day and say, okay, we have a, like a, a, a public announcement for the whole Bible school. We're here for Bible school not to sell gold. So stop selling gold to each other. And uh, it turns out that there was no gold in Malawi at that point. And uh, the, everything fell apart. People lost all their money. But some of us were looking at like, you sold everything and put it into gold unlimited I don't think that's going to go very well or how many of you you know you hear of people they they like meet somebody and in a week they know we're meant for each other and a week later they go to Vegas and they're like they Elvis marries them by the way you don't even have to go to Vegas Zach has an Elvis costume you can do it right here But we're like, we look at that and we don't look at it and think, man, like they're going to make it because they're all in. We look at that and like, oh, they're crazy. This is not going to go well. And I think the same thing is this. We all sound like, oh, in the Bible, I guess Peter and those guys, they just, it's crazy. And it's going to, it's going to go well. And I think there's something that we need to look at. As we look closer, we see that there's a lot more to the story because I think for some of us as Christians, we're like, okay, I'm all in. I'll say the statement and then I have no idea how to live that out. And we get challenged in different things and realize, man, like those, some of those people that are reading the Bible every day. They're all in. And I, I, like, I just let the pastor read it to me. Maybe I'm not all in. But I think if we look closer, we see what Jesus is, is, is calling them to when he calls them to come follow me. Look at John chapter 1. So turn to the right. You're going to go past Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to look at a couple of the different accounts of this as well. And, and then we'll take a little bit deeper dive into the rest of Peter's life. So John 1, just a couple of scriptures from there. Verse 29, we're, on the, we're in a different location here. We're on the Jordan River. You can picture this. There's a guy named John. He's dressed up in camel skins. He's eating locusts dipped in honey. Picture it. Yeah. He's uh, wandering around, and uh, people are coming to see him. He's baptizing a lot of people. And here's that famous thing we talk about often. It says, verse 29, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him. So he's been baptizing for a while, and then he sees Jesus coming towards him. And he points, he says, Look, it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's a whole bunch of people around him, crowds, and he's like, Hey, look, <laughs> that's him. That's, that's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Verse 32, Then John testified, he says, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting on him. Like, I know he's the one because I saw it with my own eyes. And he says, he says, I didn't know, in verse 33, he says, I didn't know that he was the one when he was just walking into the water. But when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one whom you see the Spirit descend and rest on is the chosen one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And in verse 34, he repeats, he's like, I saw, I saw this happen to Jesus. So I testify, or I know that he's the chosen one of God. I saw it. I have a personal revelation. I know, and, I'm, and he begins to tell people, he's like, look, it's him. He's the one. He's the Savior, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so we see John has this personal revelation of who Jesus is, and he tells people about it. Then we look a little further, verse 35. The next day, John's again standing with two of his disciples, and Jesus walks by, and John looks at him and declares, look, he's like, fellas, look, there, there's the Lamb of God. Remember the guy from yesterday? That's him. And when John's two disciples heard this, they what? They followed him. 
right? And as we read this, we think, oh, yeah, that's just like Peter and, and the other guys. They, they just like, oh, there's Jesus. I'm all in. And they followed him. Except when they say they followed him, they don't mean like they left their whole life behind. Like, I'm all in and follow Jesus. That's, that's not what happened here. Not yet, anyways. You know, that we know that lots of people would have heard John say, look, there's the Lamb of God. A crowd of people. But there's two guys, his, his, um, John's disciples, who were like, oh, we're going to go see for ourselves. Like, I know, John, you say he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We're going to go find out for ourselves. And what do these two guys do? They go and they follow Jesus. But they follow him at a distance, like, you know, like, like spies. And they're just like watching him. And, and uh, Jesus, of course, is Jesus. He knows they're behind him. And they're like looking. He turns around and like, what do you guys want? Read it with me. Verse 38, Jesus looked around and said to them, what do you want? I can picture it like, oh, we follow Jesus. And Jesus turned around and was like, hey, guys, right on. Let's go. Let's go do kinds of miracles. I'm so glad you're here. He's like, what are you guys even doing? Why are you watching me? And they're like, we have questions. Okay. What are your questions? We're like, Well, first of all, we want to know where you're staying. And Jesus is like, okay, well, what does he say to them? Come. Come and see. He's like, I'm the Messiah. You better believe in me. Say goodbye to your parents and all your children. Give me all your money and follow me. And then I'll tell you where I'm staying. See, we think sometimes that's what it is. And what we don't realize is Jesus never said that. He's like, come and see. Come and see for yourself. And so, Andrew, and we believe the other one's John, because John, the way he writes his whole book, he writes about this other disciple and never gives him a name. Uh, and yet, at the end, we realize it's, it's John. And so, as he writes this, we see that Andrew um, goes with him. It says, Andrew, Simon, verse 40, Simon Peter's brother was one of the men who heard what John said, and he followed Jesus. And Andrew, then probably the next day, because they stayed with him for the rest of the day, Andrew went to find his brother Simon, and he told him, he's like, we found the Messiah. What happened? Well, something happened in the day that he had gone and hung out with Jesus, where now it wasn't like, well, John said, he's like, I know. He is the Messiah. We've found him. We found the Messiah, which means Christ. Verse 42, then Andrew brought Simon to Jesus. Why? So he could see him for himself. He didn't say, Simon, I want you to believe because I do. And, and John the Baptist does. He's like, no, Simon, come and see for yourself. So Andrew brings Simon to meet Jesus. And Jesus looks intently at Simon. I know when somebody looks intently at you, it's like, uh-huh, you smile or look away. You're not sure what to do? Some would be like, don't look. Yeah, I saw it. Right? It's like, what's he, what's he doing? Well, Jesus looks intently at him. And it's like you think, this is kind of a little bit awkward. He looks at him, he's like, your name's Simon, son of John, but you're going to be called Cephas, which means Peter. And they're like, okay, what next? Nothing. Nothing happens next. There's no nets. There's no boats. There's no Nothing. It actually talks about how Jesus left and went to Galilee and found another couple of guys. So what happens here? Here's where, here's where John's like, I know it's him. And Andrew's like, I'm going to go find out for myself. And he's like, I know it's him. Peter, come along. Come find out for yourself. And Peter's like, he gave me a nickname. All right, then. And here's what happens next. Jesus, it says he went from there to Galilee. So let's turn to Luke and find out what happens. If you go to Luke chapter 4, so go back to Towards the left, Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. Luke chapter 4. 
I'd love for you to go home and read the whole story because you find out what happened next. We're just going to take a few verses. Verse 14, here's where Jesus from the Jordan River returns to Galilee. He's filled with the Holy Spirit's power and reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. What's happening? Jesus is becoming famous. He leaves there and it says this, verse 15. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. Just question, how, how many times do you think is regularly? Often, right? But if I spoke here once, would I, could I say I, I speak at Kingsway regularly? Can Zach say he speaks here regularly? Yeah. Could Gary say he speaks here regularly? Yeah. Yeah, because there's enough times, right? We're just like, it's, it's not once, it's not twice. There's some times. Here's Jesus, left the Jordan River where he met Peter for the first time. He's teaching regularly in the synagogues in Galilee, which is the area where Peter lives. And it says this, he was praised by everyone. Then he came to the village of Nazareth, which was Jesus' boyhood home. And he went, as usual, to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read the scriptures. How often would be as usual? Uh-huh, you, you can respond. It's not Saturday night. You can talk back. Right, yeah. He's like, as usual. Probably, like a, like, a number of times that someone would be like, oh, well, that's, that's usual. That's what happens around here. Jesus gets up, and he teaches in the synagogue every Sabbath day. Then it says, then Jesus, verse 31, he goes to Capernaum, another town in Galilee, and he taught there in the synagogue every Sabbath day. So here's, here's he leaves the Jordan, he speaks a whole bunch here, people are like, man, this guy's awesome, and the, the, the word starts traveling. Now he speaks in Nazareth, and the word starts traveling, and then he kind of has a run-in with some family members, so he goes to Capernaum, and he speaks there every Sunday, and the, and, and the word's traveling, he's famous. He's famous. He's done a lot of teaching, and either Peter's probably heard a lot of this teaching, or he's definitely heard about it. But here's, here's what we find real interesting. Verse 32, there too, people were amazed in Capernaum at his teaching, for he spoke with authority. Then verse 37, that the news about Jesus spread through every village in the entire region. Verse 38, after leaving the synagogue that day, Jesus went to Simon's home. What's his name? He went to whose home? Simon's home. He's not Peter yet. He's not Peter yet. Yeah, he had the nickname. Yeah, hey, I'm going to give you Peter. But he's like, he's still Simon. We know later that, that Peter, when he's following Jesus Christ, he's like, he's referred to as Peter. He's in with the disciples. He's still referred to as Simon. He says he went to Simon's home where he found Simon's mother-in-law very sick with a high fever. And they, please heal her, everyone begged. And standing at her bedside, he rebuked the fever and it left her. And she got up and prepared a meal for them. You got to think that Simon Peter is like, my mother-in-law, is like not well and I'm hungry and then he does this miracle he gets to see it the guy that I met on the Jordan River the guy who teaches all of these things he just healed my mother-in-law and it brings us to Luke chapter 5 Luke 5 you flip the page it says this one day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the sea of Galilee can you picture it here he is on the Sea of Galilee. Great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. Why? Because he's famous. There's all kinds of people around. He notices two empty boats at the water's edge for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. It's the morning. They're done fishing. And so Jesus steps into one of the boats and Jesus asks Simon, its owner. He knows who the owner is. He says he asked him to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and he taught the crowds from there. Where do you think Simon is? He's in the boat. 
Right? So it's not, here's, here's Jesus. He's like, he's healed his mother-in-law. Here's him sitting on the beach. He's listening. What do you think Jesus is teaching? All the stuff Jesus always was teaching. Hey, like the Old Testament, it points to me. It, it's, the, the whole thing is about, is about me, and he teaches them. And then it says, and when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Hey, Simon, let's go out where it's deeper. Let down the nets to catch some fish. And Simon's like... Oh, in his head, he knows, man, I'm a fisherman. We just fished all night. We didn't catch anything. We just washed the nets, which means we don't want to do any more fishing. It's a big job. It's a big job when you catch something. It's a big, bigger job when you go fishing, you catch nothing. And he says, Master, verse 5, we worked hard all last night. We didn't catch a thing. But if you say so. Jesus, I've been around you long enough to know that there's something about you that's different than everybody else. I've heard your teaching. I've heard the stuff. In his mind, he's like, this is somebody who I owe it to listen to. And he says, so if you say so. I know it's stupid for me to do this, but if you say so, I'm in. He says, I'll go let the nets down. Verse Verse 6, sorry, he says, this time... Their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. And so a shout for help brought their partners, James and John, were in the other boat. And soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, you know, the greatest catch of his life. For us, if we realized that that had happened, it'd be like we'd be doing like the Irish jig. Like, whoa, we're rich! Man, Peter's response is... is, It's so important. He says when he realized what happened, he falls on his knees right there in the boat before Jesus. And he says, Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they caught. He knew that wasn't possible, as were the others with him. Verse 10, his partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they were also amazed. And Jesus replied to Simon, Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they what? They left everything and followed him. You know, even as we read this, and there's different timelines of when these things happen, but there's definitely the thing where Jesus met him once in the Jordan and met him here. And at this point was the point he's like, yeah, Jesus, I've come and seen for myself. I'm willing to leave whatever you're calling me to. I'm leave, I'll leave it behind. And Simon saw for himself, it became personal. Well, you know what Simon realized? He didn't recognize who Jesus was necessarily, not fully, but he knew who he was. He realized that he's a sinful man, and he's like, and you're not. We don't belong together, I know that much. And yet, Jesus simply said to him, follow me, right? We read it in Matthew 4. Simon Peter, follow me, and I'll make you a fisher of men. And he leaves everything to follow, to follow Jesus. What do we see? We say he, he didn't get on his knees in the boat and say a prayer. Jesus, I accept you in my heart. He's like, Jesus, you're calling me to follow you. And I've seen enough for myself. I'll take this step. I'll leave that behind. And you know, that's what discipleship really is. The more I read about discipleship, it is the process of letting go. Letting go to follow. Letting go continually throughout your life of different things to follow. Think about Hebrews 12, 2, where they say, Run your race with your eyes on Christ, laying aside every weight and sin. Let that stuff go and follow him. Paul writes, I, Everything I've accomplished in my life, I count it as rubbish. I don't, I'll let it all go that I might gain him. In Philippians 3, 
a couple of years ago, summers ago, we took our kids to the factory, the old Kellogg's factory in uh, London, and they now have turned it into a high ropes course. It is four stories of high ropes with just concrete on the bottom. And uh, my kids are like, we want to do it. I'm like, I do not. I'll watch. And then I was like, watch as they took my children. Like, we're going to train them. They will be certified to climb. They give them a helmet and two carabiner clips. And like, they're good to go. I'm like, there's no padding. There's no nothing for them to fall. This is, this is crazy. And then they said, it's fine. They said, you know, there's always going to be one clip connected at a time. You can't have both disconnected. And as I watched my kids make their way through, I saw them over and over and over again, that as they wanted to go to the higher level, they would clip into a spot that would take them there, and they would have to unclip from where they had just been. And I think it's just a beautiful picture of what it is in the life of following Christ, that he keeps calling us higher. And they say, come on, keep following me, and you've got to unclip from where you were. There will be things in your life over and over and over. But what is it? You see. They see, this is where I want to go. And so, yeah, I'll unclip from there because I I see where I'm going. So often the gospel has been presented, unclip from everything and who knows what lies ahead. He doesn't want that. He's like, come and see for yourself because when you see for yourself, it'll be like, yeah, I'll let that go because I get you. I get you. And we see it. It wasn't just a one-time deal. It wasn't just a one-time decision. For the sake of time this morning, we're going to burn through a bunch of scriptures. Just write them down. Luke 14, verse 28 to 30. Here's what Jesus continually said. Uh, He says, don't begin to follow me until you count the cost. Right? Those who uh, would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it. Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. Then everyone's going to laugh at you. They're going to say, there's the person who started the building and couldn't afford to finish it. Peter's there. He hears Jesus say that. And he's right. You know, I saw enough. He says, I counted the cost before I began following. And, I, and what I realized is that when I counted the cost, he was worth following. Peter discovered who Jesus really was. You know, he discovered that, that Jesus was the Son of God. And, and uh, we hear about it in Matthew um, chapter 16. You can write it down. It's a quick story. Jesus is with his disciples. He's like, hey, who does everybody say I am? They're like, some think you're a prophet, some think you're this. And he's like, okay, who do you say I am? Peter, who do you say I am? James, who do you say I am? Isaac, who do you say I am? Brian, who do you say I am? Vic, who do you say I am? Doug, who do you say I am? Mandy, who do you say I am? Who, Heidi, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? It doesn't matter who they all say. And Peter, of course, the one who responds, he's like, you're the son of the living God. You are the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Peter has this revelation of who Jesus is. He's been coming along to see, and all of a sudden it's like, boom. And what does Jesus say? He's like, Peter, you didn't come up with that yourself. Because you've been along, coming along and seeing, the Lord has revealed to you who I am. You know who you are. You're in need of a Savior, but now you know who I am. And a few chapters later, Matthew 19, this rich young ruler comes up to Jesus and says, Hey, what have I got to do to inherit eternal life? And uh, Jesus tells him, Listen, it's going to take some unclipping. you got a whole lot of stuff you need to sell, give away. You need to unclip from that and follow me. You've seen who I am. You know who I am. You know what I have to offer. If you want that, unclip and follow me. And we think, oh, it wasn't like this instant decision. It wasn't. For somebody rich back then, it wasn't like, okay, grab my phone, put it on Kijiji, let's go. Right? No, he's got to go and deal with a whole lot of different things, counting the cost of whether it's worth it. And do you know what he does in that moment? You know the story. If you've heard, if you've heard the rich young ruler's like, oh, Jesus, I want eternal life, and I know it's with you, but 
I can't do it. It, it, I've counted the cost and it's just not worth it. I, I, I can't get rid of all of this. And it says he walks away sorrowfully. You know, I thought about that like when I was talking about the sourdough bread a couple last week. We had some gals come over to our house and they're asking Beth about it. And she's like, you know, you can make your own, right? And they're like, we can? And she's like, yeah, here's a sourdough starter. Take this home. I've already fed it for you. I don't know what that means, but I've already fed it for you. Take it home, Google it, and you can make any recipe of sourdough bread. And, and so this, this gal took this uh, sourdough bread home. And then the next day she shows up with the starter again. And uh, she, says to, she says to my kids, she's like, I Googled it. It takes 13 hours to make one loaf. I'm never going to do that. Here's your starter back. And here's some ingredients so you can make some great sourdough bread. I'm like, what did she do? She counted the cost and found it wasn't worth it. Her loss. But those two people, the guy, the rich young ruler, and the, and, and the woman with the sourdough, they both actually probably made a better decision than most people who sit in church. There's many people who sit in church and, and they never actually have that thing of where they count the cost and are like, I'm going to follow. They just sort of sit there in like, I think I am in. I think I'm all in. Maybe I'm all in. I said a prayer once. I, I, I go to church. I think, I, I think I'm in. And Jesus says in Revelation, those kind of people are what he calls lukewarm and spits them out of his mouth. It matters to him. And, it, and it's this continual thing of follow me. Let's finish it up. Matthew 19. This is the first, finish it up. Matthew 19, verse 27. I know. Put your thinking caps on. Let's go. Matthew uh, says this. Then Peter said to Jesus, because he's watched this all happen. He says, we've given up everything to follow you, Jesus. What are we going to (laughs) get? Like, okay, Peter. Of course, he's thinking, what are we going to get? Like, the rich guy just walked away. And Jesus says, I assure you, Peter, that when the world is made new, that the, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, that you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who's given up, everyone who's unclipped and given up houses, brothers, sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or property for my sake will receive 100 times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. He's like, Peter, the end will be worth it. I promise you. I know you just watched somebody wrestle and be like, oh, it's not. He's like, I promise you it is. And Peter continues to follow. And then sometime later, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. And everybody's like, this guy gives away free food. Let's follow him because we're going to get something. And then they ask him like, Jesus, dinner was great, but where's breakfast? And he says, listen, there's more to it. There's more to it. There's a cost to following me. And it says in John chapter 6, verse 66, at this point, many of his, see that word? Disciples stopped following. What happened there? They got to a place. They're like, yeah, we're going to be your disciples. But they counted the cost in that moment and they deserted him. And Jesus turns to the 12 and says, are you guys going to leave? And who comes up to bat? Simon Peter. And he's like, Lord, to whom would we go? Because you alone have the words that give eternal life. I've counted the cost and it's worth it. We're not leaving you. Even if this is difficult, we believe and we know for ourselves that you're the Holy One of God. Why? That's the only reason they kept going is because they knew. It was only the ones who were closest to Jesus that were willing to count the cost and continue carrying on. And we see that Peter continues to follow when others do not. Why? Because I've seen, he says. I believe. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm in Jesus. I've seen and I'm going to follow. And we think in that moment, Peter's all in and he's going to follow for the rest of his life. And it's going to be, you know, hunky dory from there. 
But that's not the way this thing works. Following Jesus, that thing continues to be tested and tested and tested. And here it is. We find it in Matthew 26. Jesus sits around a table. It's the night he's going to be crucified. He looks around to all of his buddies at the table and says to them, every one of you is going to abandon me tonight. Every one of you is going to stop following. And what does Peter say? That famous thing, Jesus, I'm never going to leave you. I'm all in. You know, like, I, I've given up everything. I'm going to follow, even if we have to die. And two hours later, Peter realizes that he might actually have to die. And he's like, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out. And he takes off, stops following in that moment. And again, and again, Jesus reminds Peter there's a call to discipleship. There's a call of letting go. And we're like, oh, Peter failed. You know, he got so far. He followed so well. And now he loses it right at the last moment. And if we left it there, it's a sad story. But if we finish the life of Peter, we see that Jesus finds him. Jesus finds him on a beach, just like where he first called him. And he says to Peter, First, as they're fishing, he's like, hey, let down your nets. And they catch a whole bunch of fish. And Peter's like, it's, it's him. It's Jesus. He jumps in the water. He goes to Jesus. And uh, Jesus is risen from the dead. And as Peter gets to him, Jesus asks him some questions. Peter, do you love me? Peter had denied him three times. Jesus asks him three times. It's like, oh, it just got personal. <laughs> yeah, Lord, you know. You know I love you. I know you know that I denied you three times, but you know that I love you. And what is... Jesus say to him, he says this, verse 18 of John chapter 21. Peter, I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself, you went wherever you wanted to go. That's the whole thing of just being clipped to, I can do whatever I want. He says, but when you're old, you're going to stretch out your hands and others are going to dress you and take you where you don't want to go. I'm like, what does he mean? Well, John tells us. That Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. And then Jesus said to him, follow me. Follow me. Peter, follow me. Like I know you've been following. You said yes, you've unclipped, but there's more. Peter, follow me. And Peter, in just classic fashion, it says, Then Peter went, looked, and saw behind them there was the disciple that Jesus loved. That's John talking about himself. The one who had leaned over to Jesus during supper. I know, it's hilarious. Um, and then he says, because this is the thing, it paints these guys as regular guys, right? John's like, yeah, I'm, I'm super humble, but I'm the one Jesus loved, you know, and, and I'm not even going to put my name in there, but you all know who I am. And, and Peter sees, and he looks back, and Peter's like, Jesus just said, Peter, follow me. And Peter's like, okay. And he's like, hey, but what about that guy? He says, he looks at John, he says, what about him, Lord? Like, how's he going to die? She says, we're not talking about that, Peter. He's like, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, there it is again. Follow me. Follow me. Peter, you've seen everything. You've just saw me risen from the dead. You've just saw what we've gone through. Follow me. And finally, we know Simply based on Peter's final letter in 2 Peter chapter 1, we know Peter's response, and we'll leave you with this. Peter writes to the new believers at the end of his life and says this, Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, 
even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth you've been taught. It's only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as I live. Why? Because 14, for the Lord Jesus has shown me that I must soon leave this earthly life. Peter's following, 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 and he knows that moment's not far. He says, so I'm going to work hard now to make sure that you always remember these things. He's like, I want you to know. I want you to experience these things after I'm gone. He says, we're not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's where Peter makes his declaration. He says, we saw. We're eyewitnesses. We saw his majestic glory um, or, or the splendor with our own eyes. When we received honor or he received honor and glory from the Lord uh, God the Father. And it says, The voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. Verse 18, We ourselves heard, we saw, we heard that voice from heaven, and we were with him on that holy mountain. And Peter's like, Man, I know it personally. I know it for myself. I am all in. I'm reminding you of this. Verse 19, Why? Because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets, but you, you must pay close attention. That, that, that close attention is look and see. You must look and see for yourself for what they wrote. For their words are like a light sh- shining in a dark place until the day dawns and Christ the morning star shines in your hearts. Till it becomes personal for you. And this morning, my invitation, and I believe his invitation is to each of you. No matter where you're at. Maybe you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, and maybe you have different thoughts. You know, maybe you're like, "Well, that was an interesting way to start the new year," or "That was really long." I'm not sure I understand it all, but I'm curious. The invitation to you this morning is this: simply this: Would you just come and see for yourself? I know, as a young person raised in church my whole life, it wasn't until I was in my late teens that I realized that Jesus was alive and real that he definitely had come to save me and I needed a savior. I know it. he has changed my life drastically. The fact that I stand here today is, is like testament of his power in my life. And I would say the same to you. Would you come and see for yourself, experience him for yourself? And I encourage you, if you're like, I don't know what to do, start just by reading through the New Testament. Read with us and be like, Jesus, who are you? I believe he will reveal himself too. It's what he does to the faithful, to those who are followers of Jesus here. You've been reading the word, you're studying. I would encourage you with this. Continue to look and see because there are higher heights that he's calling you to. There are still things he's calling you to unclip from in your pursuit of him. It has not ended. And then finally, I know that in this room, there's probably those who are listening online. You were following Jesus, and you've sort of fallen off the wagon. You've kind of fallen away. You know, it's like it's, it's not this passion in your life. And you might have this sense of guilt and shame. I just want to tell you this morning that, that that shame doesn't belong there. If you look at what Jesus did with Peter, all he did again was come and find him where he was at and call him one more time to say, Peter, come follow me. And he says the same to you. And maybe for you, it's like, you know, you're a follower of Christ, but there's that addiction that you just keep holding on to. Or you're in a relationship, you know he's calling you to leave. Or you're in whatever it is that he, you know, you know that you need to unclip. The thing that I say to you today is just come and see him for yourself. Look and see for yourself. It's worth it. And I believe that as you do, you'll find out that it's worth unclipping to follow. But it starts with come and see for yourself. I don't know what that looks like for each and every one of us, but I know it looks like something powerful for each and every one of us. And I'd encourage you to take that challenge this year. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the eyewitness accounts of Peter and others like him. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for making these things alive in our hearts as you call us to come follow. There's a treasure worth finding. Lord, as we see you, ah, Lord, we just realize whatever it is that's behind us is worth leaving behind. But I pray, Father, today, above all, that people here, wherever they find themselves, would see you, see you clearly, Lord, and that that would result in the decisions that they make in their life. Lord, may 2024 be a year of passionate pursuit of you. Lord, may you reveal yourself in ways that maybe we have not seen yet before. May our eyes be open to see and understand. Lord, may our lives, the way they're lived, be a beacon to those around us that they might come and see for themselves. And may taste and see that you are good. Lord, we love you. We know as we leave this place, your spirit goes with us. May you move in and through us this week. I pray this in your name and for your glory. Amen. Amen. Amen.